How do we, you know, bring together various uh, traded sectors in Oregon, manufacturing, apparel, um, you know, software and hardware in a time of crisis to solve a very near problem and one that will likely have long-term implications. Welcome to the podcast, conversations with startup founders, mentors, and other folks associated with Pi, the Portland Incubator Experiment. I'm Rick Tarosi, co-founder and general manager of Pi, and I'll be your host. Let's get into another slice. Uncorked had probably existed for about four months uh, at the time of the Fukushima earthquake on, on March 11th, uh, 2011. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, and I, I think looking at SafeCast and RDTN and now SafeCast you know, through the lens of what we see today um, with, with the pandemic, I, you know, it, there's so many correlations between the two. We had this earthquake, we had the ensuing nuclear disaster, and we had a lot of panic that was happening. And some of that We're talking with Pi alum and longtime Pi mentor Marcelino Alvarez, co-founder of Uncorked Studios, which was acquired by Fresh Consulting. Today, we're discussing community projects in times of crisis. And, you know, you had like Sanjay Gupta and, and Anderson Cooper, like running around Tokyo with like Geiger counters around their neck and decimeters around their neck. And they're like, we're fine. Look, it's great. And it was like... <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a better way. Like there has to be more data. And so, and it was, you know, one of those really dumb questions, like someone, you know, you spend like maybe a couple hours or you're like, well, clearly there's someone that knows more about this than we do. And they're doing something about it. And you kind of sit on, on ideas in, in times of crisis, kind of like someone, there's someone that's an expert on this. Like it's, it's, it, you know, it'll get solved. And then you come back to it a few hours later or a few days later and you're like, oh, no one's done anything. And I think SafeCast was one where we're like, well, what would it look like if we had sources of data. So we started looking for sources of data. Um, at the time, the Japanese um, had a, minist a ministry of education, science, and technology, MEXT. Uh, and they were publishing uh, radiation readings from uh, Geiger counters that they had uh, strapped onto telephone poles. But that data was in a PDF. Uh, and there was another guy, uh, Martin, oh good, goodness, uh, Steinbach uh, in Germany, who was scraping the data off of the PDF and putting it onto a website. Uh, and we're like, well, what if we could take that data along with the data from Geiger counters and dosimeters and everything else everyone have and just put it on a website? Like, clearly there'd be some outliers, but some data, more data is better than no data. This has to be easy, right? <laughs> and so I drew, and I can't draw for anything, I'm not a you know, designer, I drew a really bad sketch in a notebook of just like a Google map with a really like like a shrimp looking uh, rendition of uh, the nation of Japan, um, and said, "What if we just built like a, a map where we could just drop the radiation data on a map and just see what happens?" Um, and so uh, our chief design officer David Ewald uh, took that really crappy drawing and, and made it look good. And seventy two hours later, we had V one of a website, uh, and the website just you know had like a update your reading here. Uh, if you want to donate to like the Red Cross or three other organizations, donate here. Uh, and that was it. Uh, it was called rdtn.org. It was radiation without vowels. Um, in the process of making this, we got connected to a number of folks. Um, Aaron Husledge, who had done work uh, with crisis maps in, in Haiti. Uh, and he connected us with a couple of folks as well. Um, a guy named Joy Ito, who at the time was uh, head of Creative Commons. Uh, and he was looking at the same problem uh, with some folks in Japan a guy named Peter Franken, uh, who used to work uh, 
for uh, I think SoftBank uh, and uh, another guy, uh, Sean Bonner out of uh, LA who was looking at it from a hardware perspective, what would it look like to build hardware that does the same thing? And so the hardware, the software people came together and said, hey, two things. One, RDTN is really hard to pronounce. Uh, so let's find another name. Uh, and we started joining in these, kind of these like daily Skype uh, conversations because Skype was the Zoom of today. Yeah. Um, and so we'd have these daily Skype conversations trying to figure out like, how do we solve this? How do we you know, fix this? Um, uh, the daily Skype conversations, we got joined by some really interesting individuals, people who in a time of crisis are like, hey, let's just jump in. We'll figure this out, work on this together. Sean Bonner was a writer for Boing Boing. Uh, the site went live, the site went on Boing Boing. It crashed, you know, a la like social network, the movie, uh, throw up more Amazon instances because we weren't using cloudability. Uh, and uh, <laughs> all the product plugs, all the product plugs, yeah. Um, and uh, and so uh, you know, we just kind of iterated from there. Um, we learned a lot about radiation in that you know, every device has a different you know sensor, and every sensor has a different coefficient, and so there's really no easy way to calibrate all these things. Uh, and so one does what they do, which is they say, let's find a company that makes these things and just get a bunch of their stuff and mm -hmm. let's attach it to a bunch of Teslas uh, that Elon Musk will let us borrow and we'll drive them around Japan and street map uh, Japan using, uh, you know, Geiger counters from International Medcom. And that's actually what happened in the first few days, uh, first few weeks. I was probably April of uh, 2011. Um, obviously, that wasn't sustainable. Uh, and so we kind of went down the pathway of just, you know, making more devices, uh, making our own devices and, and kind of basically, you know, uh, strapping them to the sides of cars, uh, putting them in a, in a Pelican case, uh, and then uploading that data to the internet. Uh, all the maps that we had start breaking because we were now capturing, you know, uh, 50 points of data every second. So we had to kind of mm -hmm. calibrate that. Uh, and then we figured out different ways to kind of visualize it. Um, it was, you know, I think an interesting moment. I think in times of crisis, people are willing to put aside uh, all kind of the rules and, and kind of procedures of, of doing a thing. And I think there were a lot of lessons we learned about SafeCast. We didn't ask a lot of the difficult conversations up front and we got pushed out of our own project. And, you know, when Joe Ito gave his TED talk, uh, we were some kids from Portland, Oregon. Uh, and, you know, uh, Sean and Peter still run SafeCast to this day. It's the largest collection of independent radiation data in the world. Uh, super proud of it. Um, but you know, it's a history that, you know, had, had some strife in it because, you know, no one wants to ask about contracts or like what this looks like, or how does this organization, right. you know, stay sustainable and, you know, and, and we should have been, you know, but we were five people who were trying to also stay in business, who had just started a company in the middle of the last recession. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're trying, you know, to, to make ends meet and we couldn't do this thing for free because we hadn't made our money, uh, and we had no money. And so it was like, as soon as this, uh, Subaru Facebook app money goes away that we're doing for Carmichael Lynch in, in uh, Minneapolis, like there's nothing. So we got to like, you got to find a way to make money. Um, and so, you know, eventually kind of, you know, phased out of it, but we supported for about nine months, uh, built various versions of the mapping tool, designed all the logo and, and you know, sort of our first foray and sort of responding in, in time of crisis. And it's, it's hard because early on, there's a lot of adrenaline and you want, you feel like this is the most important thing. And then you realize it's a marathon and, it's, and then you realize it's a marathon that actually doesn't have an end. Those learnings, painful and otherwise, the the pandemic crisis upon us today, what does that motivate you to do? What do you start working on? What are you working on right now? I think it for me in COVID, it took maybe a couple of weeks to kind of figure out like where I wanted to get involved. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I saw a group that started doing uh, additive manufacturing or, you know, 3D printing masks or mask parts. And I was like, that seems like an area where like, I'd like to help uh, give myself some sense of agency, like throw up a 3D printer, watch it print, 
Uh, and so about a month ago, I, I ordered a 3D printer. Uh, it hasn't arrived yet. So um, <laughs> they got restless. But in parallel, got connected you know, with uh, some former colleagues of mine, uh, Miguel, who's at Autodesk, uh, Denise McCarty is at Autodesk, uh, who are, you know, and Shashi Jane, who are trying to 3D print uh, parts in Portland. And so we found ourselves on a on a, a Zoom because that's what we use now to kind of talk about some of the challenges around it and some of the you know funding efforts. One of the questions they had was, how do we sanitize all these things? And I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, could we create like sort of like a centralized process to to do this? Serendipity would have it that later that evening, after I had talked with you know Autodesk and uh, Maurice Henderson from Bird, whose wife uh, is a trauma mm-hmm. surgeon in, in Bend, Oregon. And you know Shashi and Miguel and Jennifer Fox and uh, Denise from Autodesk kind of realized that there's some you know uh, interesting just parallels to what we're looking at you know ten years ago. Uh, and then I got a text from a former client of mine who's like, "Hey, uh, the company that I, I work for owns a thirty percent stake in a company that makes surgical masks. Do you know anyone who might want to buy a machine that makes surgical masks?" And I was like, "Huh, actually, I might. Um, give me a weekend. Let me figure some stuff out." It was three weeks ago uh, tomorrow. Um, and so I started kind of pulling the group. I was like, hey, who would be interested? You know, who has a clean room, a class eight uh, FDA certified clean room? And, and we found folks at DW Fritz who do. Uh, who has expertise in kind of setting these things up? DW Fritz does. Uh, what would it look like to kind of purchase this? What is the need? How do we bring a machine like this to the US? And so uh, what we're hoping to stand up uh, is a collective, uh, the Oregon Protective mm-hmm. Manufacturing Collective, which would take advantage of uh, DW Fritz's manufacturing expertise uh, and SVB's uh, ability to source uh, machines in, in China uh, and stand up a, a, a machine line to, that can make you know several hundred thousand surgical masks a day. Um, some of you might be asking why surgical masks and not N95s. Um, surgical masks are actually in higher need by both the state and some of the hospitals that we've talked to. Uh, they're required by first responders, by police, uh, hmm. you know, people who aren't attending people with COVID. Uh, and they're also uh, in in high demand. And so, in normal times, you might pay sixty cents. Uh, in this sort of time of crisis, folks are spending a dollar to dollar fifty. In New York, they're spending upwards around seven dollars a mask. Uh, so the idea is like, can we can we find a way just to, to source these masks? Then you know, it's not just about making the machine, but then it's where the materials that power are that that go into the mm. into the machine. Yep. And so. You know, we reached out to some of our apparel friends in town, the Nike folks, Adidas folks, to see, you know, could we use Nike materials uh, in uh, a, a, a mask manufacturing machine to kind of substitute uh, those materials? Maybe they're not FDA certified, but could be used by consumers. And this was pre, you know, uh, CDC issuing their guidance for everyone wearing protective face gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just start having similar to SafeCast and similar to, you know, the, the COVID folks, just daily calls figuring out, like, what does this look like? Asking the questions that we didn't ask you know, nine years ago with, with SafeCast, like, what's a business model that works in a time of crisis? Uh, what does it look like when we're post-crisis in sort of like a stabilization period? And then what looks, what does this something like this look like in a post-COVID world? And in a post-COVID world, like, if I don't need to manufacture masks, great. And how do we, you know, bring together various uh, traded sectors in Oregon, manufacturing, apparel, um, you know, software and hardware in a time of crisis to solve a very near problem and one that will likely have long-term implications. Uh, the the reliance on a single point of failure supply chain for critically important medical infrastructure is probably not a mistake that Western states will ever make again. You know, I think part of what happens in times of crisis is that you find yourself lacking a sense of agency and mm-hmm. you just want to like look at the world through the lens of what you see. And it's like, if you're a hardware engineer, like I can build a better ventilator. If you're someone who likes connecting people, it's like, let's connect people. Let's figure out what they need is 
and you kind of try, you know, figure out like, you know, less about low hanging fruits. And, and I appreciate the, the nod that I'm, I mean, I think sometimes it's just like, where, where can I have the most impact? Um, we're getting close to the end. And so I wanted to save some time for, uh, this is our opportunity as a community to ask you, what, what can we be doing to be helpful? You know, I think I, I'm available. Uh, hit me, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, not if you don't like politics. Um, hit me up on, <laughs> hit me up on email. Uh, Marcelino at Fresh Consulting. Um, you know, if if you have, if, if anything that I've said uh, has either inspired a thought, uh, a critique, uh, an observation, I want to hear it. Um, I'm here. Um, I have uh, my. Uh, uh, if anyone wants to grab a virtual coffee, like that, that's what I was famous for before, but this was grabbing real coffees with people. Uh, let's grab a virtual coffee. And that's another episode of the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe on your favorite podcast network, and we'd love to see your ratings and reviews. Stay tuned next time for a conversation with Sylvia Salazar of Tono Latino.